You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Hey, theater nerds, it's me, the mystery flavor Jolly Rancher, Drew Gasparini here with another episode of Now We're Talking, the podcast that's been giving Wendy Williams a run for her money. Today's guest is one of the most prolific writers of our generation. He's an award-winning musical theater writer, a friend of mine, and I've been a fan of his since I first started as a writer myself, and I remain endlessly bewildered by his creativity. You know him for his highly acclaimed musicals, such as Jasper and Deadland and We Foxes, not to mention his kick-ass song cycle, 35mm, which showcases is the eye-popping work of his husband, photographer phenom, Matthew Murphy. He's currently writing the score for the musical adaptation of Hugo, so everybody shut the heck up and sit down, because now we're talking with Mr. Ryan Scott Oliver. Right in front of me, I have a very handsome, a very talented, and and gruffer than usual looking Ryan Scott Oliver. Uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. And I really, really, and I, I can't stress this enough. I really appreciate what your facial hair has decided to do. <laughs> you know what? I do, I do it for you. It's kind of a vague Santa Claus moment. You're, you're young, sexy Santa. <laughs> uh, Ryan, am I mistaken that you're in the Peloton world right now? I am in, you're not mistaken, and I am in it, and I love it. Okay, I beast daily. I beast daily. I'm going for 350 calories a day. I'm trying to obliterate them. Can we talk about who our favorite trainers are? Who do you like so far? Of course, of course. I have, you know, Matt, uh, my husband, for those of you who don't know who Matt is. Matt Murphy, Matt Murphy, very talented photographer, yes. He um, is. A, he he got into Peloton for uh, like months before me, uh-huh. and and so he had his he had his favorites, and I just gravitated towards this trainer named Sam Yo. I okay. gather from things he's. I feel like he's one of the trainers that doesn't talk very much about his personal life. So the only thing I kind of know is that maybe he was a dance, like a ballet dancer at some point. Okay. Anyway, he when when Matt has overheard me in his class. Matt's like, oh, he's not like as fun as the other trainers. But I'm like, I don't, I don't need my trainer to be fun. I need my yeah. trainer to be like direct and like give me the minimum amount of information. Okay, see, you and I are polar opposites in this situation because <laughs> I, I, I flock toward. I bet Matt does too. Does he love Cody? I he love loves Cody. Cody. And then I've tried all the other people. Let me talk to you about one girl in particular who I have a real issue with. Yeah, I might have the same issue with this person. Go ahead. Okay. Is it Emma Lovewell? Because I have deep 
issues with I hope she's listening. I don't know how she'd ever get a hold of this podcast, but first of all, that can't possibly be your real last name. <laughs> Lovewell is your Peloton name. That's fine, that's great, but here's why it bothers me. Every time I take one of her classes, she goes, "Here it comes. That beat is about to drop everybody." So, four Three, and then the beat drops way before she's done counting. She goes, two, one, everybody, we're there, we're there. Two, one, here we go. Everybody, we're there. I'm like, you have no rhythm or musicality or anything behind. You're, you're trying to get us all in a, in a rhythm, and you're blowing it every single time. Yes, I feel like there was one trainer, and it might be her, who it was like, you know, film. I was just getting into Peloton, and it was like, you know, at the movies, you know, climbed to the movies. And I thought we were literally going to watch, like, scenes from films while we biked. But it yeah. was only like the pop song. I should have known this because I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I didn't know. I didn't know. I don't know. But I also just, oh, and then Matt just did a Wicked ride, I think, with somebody. And then she, no. talked, she told the entire story of Wicked through the biking class. And oh, that's, that's kind it, of genius. It, it Maybe, but for me, like that sounds like my worst nightmare. That sounds like Someone truly my worst nightmare. Describing musical theater to you while... These are the 30 minutes or 45 minutes I'm here to get away from just like... Just imagine. Just imagine somebody being like, okay, today's class is Assassins by Stephen Sondheim. So here's what <laughs> happens in this first scene. I love that idea. That's so hysterical to me. Are you only doing biking or are you doing the other stuff too? I can't bring myself to do the... like. It's, it's all like three pound, five pound weights. And I just don't feel like I'm doing anything with my arms at that point. So uh -huh. I'm strictly cycling. Yeah. Be, I, I beast. I, I can only qualify it as beasting because I'm grunting and I'm yeah. sweating. And I yeah. really... I don't... And thank God I'm by myself. This is why I don't do like flywheel yep. or soul yep. cycle or spin whiz or... I, I just made up spin whiz. But I... I get stressed oh, out with the goodness. idea of people hearing my sounds oh, and seeing my horrifying face. And it's, it's not good. And I, you know, you see your reflection sometimes in the screen uh -huh. in front of you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think I know what I look like while I'm having sex now. Yeah. And I feel really horrible for anybody Both, who's yeah. had that experience with me, because if that's what you're looking at, Oh, I totally get it. And Matt, Matt, I would also say Matt is a noisemaker in the world of Peloton and mm -hmm. his, his office is right next to mine. Yeah. And he literally, I'll be in a class and you'll just hear, uh, 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 uh. and I'm like, and I'm like, I don't know if I think that he likes me as a good song for you. I'm like telling some, you know, a 19 year old girl and it's just like, uh, uh. And through the wall, people think you're teaching out of a brothel. Or something uh, li like that. Yeah. literally, <laughs> honestly, if, if this COVID thing continues, I may have to open one. So, hey, some way to get money that'd be nice. Because uh, let me tell you, podcasts don't pay. <laughs> um, you're coming at me from your house right now, yes? The house, yes. This yes, is the house. Yes. You just moved to Beacon, right? Is that we where did, you are? We did move to Beacon. We're loving it. You love it. It's gorgeous up there. It is, and I. I'm commuting much more than I thought I was going to commute. Um, in and out I, of the city? Yeah, I like fucked myself schedule wise with actor therapy this session. By the way, can we swear? Is that okay? Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, of course. I, I swear. I even shit talk other composers. Oh, amazing. You should shit talk me on this episode. Never. No. Well, okay. sure. You, while you're here, why not? Um, uh, I, I, so I'm literally going in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesday, I'm teaching for one hour, and that's an mm -hmm. hour and a half commute each way. So I'm literally taking my driving to the train, to the subway, to a 15-minute walk to go to Open Jar for one hour. 
Oh so my I'm like, God. Oh my God. And then Thursday is a longer day and it's fine. Um, but also it's in, we're doing some in-person stuff with actor therapy and it's very safe and distance and everyone's wearing masks. And that's, it's a strange experience to like be with singers again and be in a room with people. Is there, but is there, is there a part of it that's like, oh, thank God we're finally back doing yes. this or is everybody's oh, kind yes. of, everybody's a little tightly anist? No. Oh my God. No, no, no. I mean, everyone is very is very um, uh, clear about how, how to be safe with one another. Yeah, yeah. And the only time they take their masks off is when they get in the middle of the room, away from everybody else, and they're singing. Okay. And there are, there are tears. There's, there have been many, many sets of tears. I'm getting chills just thinking about this because, yeah. like, uh, it's... What, what, what has our lives been? Like, what have our lives been without this fuel for us and for all the students of yours and like you and i, I are both are both dedicated artists but very yeah. also dedicate a lot of what we do to yeah. furthering people's careers education for other yeah. artists this that and the other so i can't imagine finally seeing a group of students who yeah. sign up for this thing that you do with Lindsay yeah. mendez called yeah. actors therapy plug 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 Thank uh you. But I can't imagine what that must have felt like just first time in the room. And also, oh, yeah. I, I don't, you don't have to say we're being very safe. I would assume, like, <laughs> I hope at this point we're just under the umbrella of let's not be idiots about right. this. Right, yeah. right. Well, it's, it, it is interesting because, you know, you, I think we're at that phase of the pandemic where we all have our, we've all, we all have our calculated risks that we are comfortable yeah. with. Some people are like, I haven't eaten indoors since March, 2020. Some people are like, occasionally I'll do a little bit of indoor dining here, but you have people who are like, you have been indoors dining. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, we, we all have the basic things, but yesterday, this is just weird beacon gossip. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> we had, we had somebody for the first time, come into our house to do, to paint our bedroom walls and put some wallpaper up on an accent wall. Nice. And he refused to wear a mask inside the house. That, and how is that okay? That's not well. Okay. And like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a well-paying job. And, and literally it got, came down, like he would rather not wear a mask and just, and he left and we had to like ask him to leave. Um, that was a weird experience. It actually really kind of bummed Matt out for like the whole day, just knowing that like, and then of course, you know, we immediately Googled, his name plus Republican. And of course it came up immediately. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh -huh. And then you went immediately to Yelp.com and then wrote the letter of letters. <laughs> Fuck him, I'll write the Yelp. <laughs> I love it. Good, 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 good. I'll send you I'll all the like, this guy. This guy's unsafe. Don't invite him into your house. And also I'll make up a lie. I'll start a rumor about him. He touches children. He's, oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll go deep. I don't care. Uh, oh I have a question for you because yeah. I, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about your career. But basically the idea of this podcast is anybody could Google your resume and see all the amazing things you've done. I'm going to mention them all in the intro, like I said, and probably again in the outro. But I, I do want to talk about what got you to where you are. And let me continue with this preface. I had Joe Iconis on not too long ago, a, yeah. a, a contemporary of ours, and he's had his, his ups and downs in the business. But the one thing that you and Joe have in common mm -hmm. are when I moved to New York, there were just two superheroes to me, and it was Ryan Scott Oliver and Joe Iconis because 
from what I heard and what I was seeing in the concert scene and all that kind of stuff, it was just, that's not what musical theater was in my upbringing. You guys, in my eyes, were changing the game in the way that I'm sure a lot of people looked at Adam Gettle or Jason Robert Brown changing the game a few years prior. I thought you and Joe were these magnificent new writers. I've been obsessed with you for a long time from Darling, 35 millimeter, everything you've ever done. Your brain works in such a fascinating way to me. And here's how I'll describe it. I think I may have told you this at one point, but I was having lunch with Jonathan Reed Gelt a number of years ago, and we were just talking about writing and the business. And he said, you know that Jason Robert Brown said that the problem with Adam Gettle is he already has the idea and a better version of that idea before any of the other composers in this generation have it. And he'll execute it better. And both Jonathan and I were like, that's Ryan Scott Oliver for us. The, oh, he's wow. the guy that's going to have the, the, the better idea or the same idea in a better way. And he's going to execute it in a way that literally nobody else could. You are so unique to you and your brand of writing and your brand of silliness and darkness. And I think no one writes bleak as well as you do. <laughs> and I hope you take that as a high compliment. Absolutely. Uh, but how did you, how did you become Ryan Scott Oliver? What was your childhood like? And, and how did you, how did you get so creative in this manner? You, first of all, th thank you for all of that. You, there, there are so many things to unpack there. I have a feeling I'm going to be unpacking a lot of those things by text later. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is why people gravitate towards certain genres and themes and things and, and, and our um, threshold for darkness. Some people are like, I can't see blood, right? Some people cry when like the second grandma dies, like, like the, 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 how we all receive emotions and experiences, I think are, are very different. And for me, you noted that I, you know, no one does bleak, you know, like I do, and I appreciate that. And, 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 and I do think that a lot of my early work was super dark. And I actually find for some people, I think that they write darkness because they've experienced a lot of darkness, but mm -hmm. that wasn't true. That wasn't true for me. I can really categorically say that I had such a great life other than, you know, parent problems occasionally, like, sure. I, you know, my coming out was fine. Um, lots of friends did well in school, um, had a lot of opportunities, you know, definitely, you know, had, so, had, had privilege that I wasn't even aware that I had at that time. Right, right. And, and I think that, that there was, you know, in the same way that like Ariel in The Little Mermaid is like, I want to be on land. I think there was a part of me that was like, I want to be, I want to be a part of stories where there's action and something happening and darkness and excitement and thrill. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I gravitated so much towards it because I had none of it in my life. And right. what's interesting is that in my, in my late twenties, you know, when I, you know, I got fired and I had, I, I lost all, I had all four of my grandparents until like third, until I was like 30. And then I lost all four of them within two years. Oh my God. Yeah. And once I started experience loss, experiencing loss and grief and pain and, 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 and starting to experience depression, the desire within me to tell happy endings and hopeful stories and warmth and kindness and focus on stories that were more family friendly, that's when that sort of started to emerge. It was sort of like this, this 
I, I guess what I'm saying is that every part of every part every everything I've made seems to sort of be a contrasting response to sort of how my life was going. So basically, yeah. If you, if you see me write a really happy song, then you should give me a call and be like, are you okay? Yeah, be worried about Ryan if you hear the happy, happy songs. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I look I look back, um, I look back on the Ballad of Sarah Berry and like, obviously, I'm, very, song. I, I'm obviously very proud of it. And yet I'm like, I would never have written that song today or within the last like three or four years. Yeah. Because at that time, it was like, it at that time, like fun with murdering high school students was like, fun you know what i mean like you know as from from a writing perspective uh anyway did that answer your question i that definitely wasn't was a weird way to answer that question but i can definitely go no that actually that that actually really does answer my question in a way that i relate to uh because i think a lot of people see me as like a happy-go-lucky guy and i and and now i'm making it sound like i actually come from a very sad and troubled childhood but that's not it at all i think the reason i attempt songs like circus or yeah, yeah, or yeah. make me bad or, or any of those things yeah. that are a little darker is because I so badly want to kind of have a taste of it myself or put myself in those yeah. shoes to kind of f- figure out the empathy for a character in that situation. Yes. yes. Uh, I mean, like, wow. Like, can we talk about 35 for a second? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. That is one of my favorite pieces of work, period. I mean, not just of yours and your canon, but like it is just one of the coolest things I've ever seen live because it was done at the rest in peace, the Galapagos art yep. space in, yep. in Dumbo. Uh, and it had water and it was like, it was the coolest fucking venue. It was like had these little ponds and you guys used uh, Matt's photos as like yeah. lily pads in the pond. Yeah. I, just, I was obsessed with the whole experience of it all. But when you go back and you listen to that album, and I hope everybody who hasn't already goes and does that uh the very first song crazy town yeah there's you just kind of described your approach to writing dark material as this as this way to experience it yourself almost because you had a pretty up childhood no complaints you know but when i hear the lyrics to crazy town i'm hearing parts of idle the idle boy and the idle hands and the there's got to be so much of you in this material yeah. I mean, so for, I yeah. love so I love so much that you that you brought this up because actually over the last couple of months I've been working on sort of like this album of commentary. Like mm-hmm. literally every single song this is I'm sure Alex has probably mentioned this to you cuz uh, I got to interview him for this and we talked a little bit about Crazy Town. And what's interesting about Crazy Town is the inspiration for this, for that whole story in addition to Matt's photo is the psychologist published the 20 most frequently mentioned nightmares of college students. Mm -hmm. And I structured the song actually around the nightmares. Like it's like being naked in public and snakes drowning, being, you know, sex acts, being chased, all finding money on the ground. Like all of that is like, that's where all that comes from. Um, And then the other thing was like, um, Stephen King has this uh, overlong book series called the Dark Tower series. And I'm totally spoiling it. So if, if Drew keeps this in and you are a Stephen King fan and you've not read The Dark Tower, like skip 20 seconds from now. Sure. <laughs> the, the entire mission of like 5,000 pages is for the main character to get to The Dark Tower. And in the end of the book, of books, there's like eight of them. Yeah. He finds The Dark Tower and the story start, He when he opens the door to The Dark Tower, the whole story starts over again. Oh so my god! Right, so you can imagine people who like dedicated fifteen years of their life to like w- getting all the books, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is like the worst ending ever." But that's how Crazy Town ends. That's the exact yeah. same way that Crazy Town yeah. ends. That he gets to the end, and it, it starts all over again. 
that uh, the whole body of work that you have is tremendous because you seem to be wildly prolific just in terms of your output. You put so much work out there and new projects and like rope and we foxes. Is it still called rope, by the way? Is that it's called it's- tethered now? Tethered. Oh my god. Multiple syllables. Let's go. That's where it's got to be. But it's, it's never ending for you. And I think what is really interesting about your brain and your approach to all of this I love that we started on Peloton and now I'm like really diving into your, (laughs) your craft here. I try very badly because of the way I looked up to, you know, and I, and still do, I should say, but you and I have become friendly over the years. And when I, when I first looked at you as like one of the gods that I was just trying to (laughs) emulate in terms of process and everything, I couldn't handle how wildly prolific you were and how every story you started was so wildly different from the last thing that you wrote. Does it have to do with how much you read? You seem like a real, Alex Brightman even calls you like an auteur. Like he calls you like the way that you're, you, you structure lyrics and stuff. It's very like, um, well, it sounds like you've read a lot of books, Ryan. How, how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, create kind of the process for your craft and like, how do you continue to just be like, Oh, I got a new one. I'm going to start this. Cause it doesn't yeah. seem like you start something and then don't finish it. You always kind of see it through. Yeah. I, I appreciate all of that. I, I, I feel very seen in a, in a, in a, I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're seeing, you're seeing the part of myself that I want to be seen. Um, I'm examining very closely. I promise. I love it. Um, uh, you know, everything changed for me in 2012 in terms of my process. Um, I had been working for Disney. I was writing Freaky Friday. Yeah. Um, obviously not writing it anymore. And uh, <laughs> um, and up to that point, I had a lot of success. I had a lot of awards. I Again, like my career w- moved so quickly over three to four years. And I was like patting myself on the back. And I was like, of course, I'm working for Disney. This is amazing. But yeah. up to that point, I was like, I was told that the way that we musical theater writers would get our work done was by studios and corporations, you know, giving us movie rights, basically. Right. And of course, yes. you and I are, are continuing to deal with that. Yes. And, do, and do that. 100%. But the idea, the idea that I could have an idea of my own, an original idea of my own, that I, and I could have a process that was my own. I could have a deadline and a schedule that was my own happened as a response to kind of being like, I think I have to stop writing for other people and I have to stop working, working solely on the timeline and discretion of other people. And so the first musical I wrote after that was a show called We Foxes. Mm-hmm. And that Tremendous. has, thank you. And that, that musical and everything I've written since then has followed the same process, which is that, I, first of all, I try to write a musical a year, right? And 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 there have been some years where where I go, oh, I'm you know I'm running out of time, and it's October, and I'll write a 23 minute thing, right? Right, right. Or you know sometimes it's small, but what I always do is come June of every year, I will begin a six month research phase on my next show, and then I'll usually start that show in January, oh my and. God. And then I'll do six months of drafting it and then do the readings and, you know, all the things that we do to sort of get it up. Yeah. And then hopefully by the fall, um, I, and my research phase, I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, a man who's read a lot of books. I would not say that I'm like a voracious reader in, in general, but I would say when it comes to research, I, 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 I do a lot of research. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I, I spend say six months, 25 hours a week reading, watching, listening, 
every kind of medium that in any way relates to my uh, to my project, taking notes on notes on notes on notes, so that when I sit down to write, I have so many ideas and so many influences that are impacting the thing that I'm doing. Um, and and that and that process has made has felt really good to me. I, I don't get writer's block a lot, and yeah. and bec- and I I'm always I always feel like I have a piece in the back of my mind ready to be sort of launched. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, I, I want to like your discipline is insane. Like that's that's like it's hard enough, <clears throat> and I'm sure you talk to your actress therapy students about this as well. Something I always say is like kind of be the CEO of you. you Literally, know, that old, that's that exactly what I say. Yes. But it's you but you are you're structuring your business. You have you have a model that has worked for you now. You have a process that is working in terms of what your output is. Yeah. Uh, the shows that you've been writing since then when We Foxes and all that was starting to circulate, they've seen some success and it's opened up other doors. I know that you're writing am I allowed yeah. to even say? Can I say you're writing Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hugo. You're writing Hugo yeah. right now, which is yeah, like a big yeah. fat deal. Um how do you decide? You know, when it comes June and you're like doing the research and you're reading whatever is interesting you, how do you decide that, oh, this is going to be a great musical or or, how do you decide your next project? I always feel like, because I guess the comparison is, for me at least, this is why I'm so interested. And sorry, I'm talking over you like crazy right now. I love it. I love it. I, I could talk about this shit until the end of the day. I really thrive with collaborative efforts in terms yeah. of yeah. bouncing ideas back and forth until I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's do it. You are so magnificent at being so in charge of your shit and saying, Ryan, you should do this. Good idea, Ryan. Let's do it, Ryan. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that I, by no means does that mean like he's alone in a mountain all by himself in a cabin somewhere, <laughs> candlelight, and that's it. It's like the end of Walter White's like existence. Yes, oh my that. God. That's, yes. But you really are a solo artist as a writer in, in many wonderful respects because you execute it so well. How do you decide what your next project is? And do you ever get scared of this discipline wavering or getting tired or bored of it? Yeah. You seem to have a rhythm. Ooh, yeah. Lots of good questions. I definitely think that while I do think like there was a period of my life um, where I was writing a lot of pieces by myself. And I think that was really useful for me to find out more about who I was as an artist. But I do think that like after that period, which ended like two or three years ago, I have gotten really excited about collaborating again and I missed collaborating. And I actually think I sort of returned to the fold. Yeah. An infinitely better collaborator than I had. I mean, this is the other thing that's crazy is that when I started out, you know, the, the 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 dark side of sort of what you're accurately saying is that I do think that when I started in this business, I had this feeling that, you know, I that I was a lone wolf. And I, I do think that I didn't always take the notes. And I think that there was, I still suffered from, I think, the thing that a lot of young creatives suffer from, which is like, if they have the idea and and they feel sure of it, then they believe that their idea is the best idea without acknowledging that even though their brain is saying this is a great idea that they yeah. still could be wrong. Right. And I think when I sort of came back to doing a lot of collaborations, which is in the last several years, I, I sort of came into the scene with, with an approach of like, yes, absolutely. Wonderful idea. That's great. A hundred percent. I, and just n- desiring, and this is Kirsten Gunther, our mutual friend, Kirsten Gunther is something that yeah. like, she taught me so much is that I, I discovered the joy of being wrong and the joy of creating space 
for yeah. other people. And you, you know, because you collaborate so much and, and have for so long, you know, you, you know that very well. And sure. I think, I think that that is, that is the big thing to the answer your other question, which is how do I find my next idea? You know, I would say like, right, right now I have like three ideas that like, when the time is right, I would sort of pluck that idea out and I would then just execute that thing. I mean, the Shirley Jackson thing I did last year called Future Demons was something that was one of those things in the back of my mind. And I have like a couple of books that I'm like, oh yeah, when I need a new project, I'm going to do that thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I do, I do try to, I do try to keep busy. I mean, yes, prolific is nice, but I also think that like, it's about being busy. And I would also say like, you are also an incredibly prolific writer. I feel like of a lot of our peers and Joe obviously as well, but I don't, when I think of a lot of our peers, I, I can't think of more than say five titles that they have chosen selected to work on. And sure. I feel like I can, I feel like I could literally name your entire resume and maybe that's because we're friends, but yeah. I also think you are similar in the sense that I feel like you like working on a lot of things and you like, I do. I, the, the idea of staying busy is an important thing. And yes. uh, I don't know for you, it's only so I can tell my friends how busy I am and then I can annoy them. to death. <laughs> with that. Ooh, God, I just burped before I started recording. You know what? I'm not even going to edit it. There it is. I burped. It stinks. What a bummer. I'm stuck in this room with my own burp. It's a drag guys. You know how I like to interrupt these episodes. Well, I'm doing it again. Cause I like consistency. Mr. Ryan Scott Oliver, just like the rest of our guests is an alluring and intriguing and interesting artist, so go support him by following up on the things he has going on. Follow him on his social medias at Ryan Scott Oliver, spelt exactly like all three of those first names are spelt. Isn't that funny? He has three names and all of them are first names. Ryan Scott Oliver. Anyway, mush those three names together and you got Ryan Scott Oliver on Twitter, on Instagram, and anywhere else you might find an individual these days. Check out the music he has available on Spotify and stay excited, stay posted, keep up with him because he has a a lot coming up, including the highly anticipated adaptation of Hugo. You don't want to miss it, so stay posted on everything Ryan has going on. Anyway, now back to the conversation with me and Ryan Scott Oliver. Can we talk a little bit about, like, you're, you're, you're writing Hugo. Is this yeah. through a studio? Are you working with the movie studio who was a part of this? So, okay. yeah, so yes and no. So so the, the, the two producers of the film... Uh, Graham King and Tim Heddington, uh, who produced Hugo, and they also produced The Departed. Those were their two like massive wow. films. Which is going to be your next musical, no doubt. I hope so. <laughs> oh Please. my god! <laughs> um, so they've teamed up with um, a, a former pr uh, uh, producer, music producer at Sony named Teresa Page, and so Tim and Teresa have this company called Leyline, and so they are the they are the producers of, of Hugo. They are okay. they're also the producers of Anne Juliet, which is this jukebox musical of the Max Martin catalog that was in <laughs> London and is amazing. It's a really 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 wonderful piece. Um, yeah, no, it's really fun. I feel like Hugo is their like artistic project yeah, and then like and Juliet the Max Martin. <laughs> oh, yes exactly exactly so yeah that's and they've been wonderful I mean they, that that part of it and working with Chris Wielden who's the director and choreographer of the show um has been such such a dream and and, and just Brian Selznick who is an incredible illustrator and who wrote the book of Hugo yeah getting to work with them has been a really frankly healing experience oh, because okay. they're they are so respected 
and respectful and and they have created such an incredibly safe environment for all of us to collaborate and approach this yeah you know for, you know chris has a tony award and brian you know has you know authored a million books and yet i'm coming to the table with maybe slightly more musical theater sure. experience sure and i feel like they have we just have we all respect each other for what we're bringing to the table and so the hugo experience thus far thus far has been really really wonderful i love hearing that cuz i've you know i've i've worked with a number of movie studios doing the mm-hmm. adaptation game mm-hmm. um I I remember I I'm so hot on collaboration and I love it and I love being in the room where you see oh my god I'm the small guy in this whole room because these are yep. legends they've wrote every fucking movie under the sun and oh my god the director holy shit the stack of Tonys she has and well yeah. and I feel like this small duck and and I get so excited to hear their notes but then the producers come in and they've got their own notes and some of the notes were my daughter typically dances to all the music you've sent in. She didn't dance to this one. So can you give this demo another try? And this is exactly what I would do in those circumstances. At first I'd be like, you know, tail between my legs, like, Oh, what the, how the fuck did I go so wrong? His daughter's not dancing. Oh my God, I blew it. You know, but I go back, I listen to the demo. I go, what is he talking about? I wait a week. And then I send the exact same demo to him. And he goes, Great job. Thanks so much for the update. Oh, that's sad. Well, I guess the question I'm getting to is, <laughs> does it scare you that sometimes producers are the least creative people and they are making some of the most creative decisions? As an artist, does that irk you ever so slightly? <laughs> um, uh, uh, so for, for, for the listeners, you know, there really are basically two different kinds of producers. Well, three. To two real kinds of producers. One, producers who are like, I'm the business side of things. I'm getting all the money. You know, I'm make, I'm lifting this behemoth up. And then the other kind are creative producers. Producers who are like, who, who, who could be a dramaturg, could be a director. You know, Hal Prince started this way, right? Yes, as as yes, a creative 100%. producer. And it, and I think usually the two parties know what they are. And they know how to not get involved in the areas of production where they will hold things up, but they sometimes think that they have to get involved because they have power or because, and what you're talking about are the money business people who are moonlighting as creative people. And that, and that is, and that is a problem. And yeah, that fucking sucks. And it, it gets in our way. It way gets in our way. If there are producers listening, get out of our way. We, yeah. we swear we have the same objective of making a good show. <laughs> right. Well, and it's also like we're not giving we're not going to give them notes on like the the budget. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, oh, we, but we, how I wish I could. Oh, how I wish I could. Especially when it comes to marketing, I'm like, I, I, I see thousands of missed opportunities every Broadway show right. that comes out. Like, yes. what are we doing? You want to sell some tickets? Talk to your boy right here. I swear I to God. You should have put me on the team for Jasper and Deadland. I would have been the greatest street <laughs> team for you. I'm telling you, what, like th- that was one of my favorite theatrical experiences ever. Was seeing that show off Broadway. It was in such. Uh, it was the Prospect Theater on 86th, right? That's where it was. It's right? a theater Correct? company. Prospect was a theater company, but it was called like the West End. I don't know. It was like a church 
church it was attic. dunk. I mean, like honestly, yeah, right, right beneath the stage, there was AA meetings happening. Yeah, you yeah, know, it was yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But going in there and just like the kind of weird, like scrappy feel of that theater yeah. actually kind of lifted the experience for me. That was to this day one of the greatest musicals I have ever heard slash seen. Stroke by stroke is one of my favorite songs in musical theater history. But and this is where the question is going. Sorry, I had to start with a big fat compliment for you. <laughs> Thank you. When you hear songs like Stroke by Stroke. And you hear songs like Sarah Berry was another good example of that. You have a really strong pop mentality. Do you ever consider the idea of doing those types of writing sessions where you're writing for an artist? Because are, are you with a publishing deal? I'm not sure. No, are you? No, no. Why no. the hell not? I feel like you are ripe for it. You might be frustrated, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, just sitting in those <laughs> writer's rooms because they can be hell. Well, I think, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm talking about this with you because... It's interesting because you're actually, I think, a reason why I know that I that I don't want to do that because I'm like, you're so good at it. Oh, no, no. no it's, it's, it, but it's also like, I go like, you, you know, we both, the Venn diagram of us is that we are both musical theater dramatists. Like, we mm-hmm. both want to tell stories with songs. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. But like, I don't think you want to write a ballet or an opera. Am I correct in saying you are correct in saying that? And I do. And uh, I think, and I think that that's the other side. That's the, you know, it's like, I, first of all, I consume so much pop music. I don't listen to musical theater. Like I, for you. I never do. I consume so much pop, folk, hip hop, all of it. Right. And, and what's also weird is that even though I'm an atheist, my discover weekly on Spotify I like liked one Christian rock song. And now my discover weekly is like, like I'm like a Christian rock fiend, even though I'm an atheist. Wow. Anyway. Wow. I love um, that. So I, so what I'm saying is I love the art form of pop and I do try to incorporate, but I don't think I would be successful writing a pop song that was meant to be a pop song. I think what I'm good at is bringing in rock and roll into the musical theater, bringing pop into the musical theater and telling a story with it. I think that's where I excel. And so I just, I just don't think I'd be good at it. You know what you need? Here's what you need. You need like what happened with Owl City and Waving Through a Window. You need someone like, um, here's Sarah Berry and then Katy Perry's like, I'm going to do that song. You know what I mean? That's what would be amazing. Is someone just doing one of your songs. Oh my God. Absolutely. We, we We know we've made it when Katy Perry is covering our song. Um, you know that right now, again, no one can see us. It's a podcast, but we're both wearing beanies. We both wear hats all the time. It's not something I I tried to steal from you, but certainly something I've been doing since I was a young lad, because much like you, I think we, we, uh, we're thinning. Like, can we say that we're thinning up there? Well, my hair, my hair did a a mass exodus when I was 19, 19. And I remember the day before I moved to New York, I buzzed it off. Because wow, I was like wait, 19 years old, all your hair just fell out. I mean, not, not like an, not like an alopecia thing, but like a, an ad, like a very advanced kind of hair loss. Where, like your you, head was Manhattan and COVID just struck and everybody 100%. jumped ship. Yep. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Between like, I would say like 17 and a half and 19, it just like, it started to go. And like, wow. I could, I probably could have stuck it out for another couple of years and just been that guy that has the bald spot. But yeah. I, 
I did not want to be, for me, I didn't want to be, I didn't want people to know me and go like, Ryan has hair. And then I shaved it all off. And then they're like, and then I become a new person to them. And I just didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to deal with that. So I shaved it I get that. I get that. Well, I got to say, you're one of the most handsome bald men I've ever seen. And Uh. also, you really rock a hat. This is is boring for everybody else. (laughs) Real quickly, before we hop into a segment of nothing but stupid questions. Great. um, Can you talk about The Apprentice? Oh my God. Yeah. I wish I re I'll, I'll skip ahead and say that I wish that I had some like really juicy shit. I actually think Alex probably has more juicy shit than I have. I would say the only thing that was funny about that was the producers absolutely try to stir shit up and they tell you things to get you to say weird things. And then of course, that's the nature of reality TV. Yes, I know, but it's like, but what's weird also though is, is just like, you know that they're editing it in such a way, they're going to edit in such a weird way. And then when it happens, you're like, Oh wow, this is, this is how they make the TV. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just love that that's the most random thing in the entire world is that your musical darling was featured on. Yeah. The Apprentice, which is yeah. famously Donald Trump's long-running reality TV oh, series. Yeah. And I'm sure you didn't meet the man or he had nothing I didn't. to do with the episode at all. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, I want to share with you very quickly my one reality TV yes. experience. Uh, I've actually had a, a few reality TV experiences, yeah. but this is one that nobody knows about because it never made it to air and... It was the, it wasn't a pilot. It was a test episode to see if they would even make the pilot. And it was for a show that lasted like eight episodes and it was called Oprah's The Big Give. Do you remember this at all? I do. It was like who, it was a competition of who could be the most selfless and generous, basically. It was a very silly concept for a show. And they asked you to be on it? I was playing a show in Long Beach. I was playing a show, yeah, horrible, because they clearly didn't get to know me before they're like, this guy. But, uh, because I'm a a taker. You know me, I'm a taker. Uh, But I I was playing a show in Long Beach and one of the producers were there and she's like, would you like to do this this episode, this test episode? It pays $150. I said, sure. Sure. (laughs) So the test episode was hysterical. They have a camera crew full on. We're in like, I think we're in Pasadena somewhere, which is exactly where you're from i believe that's right right. yes yeah so i'm in some park in pasadena and they go okay they explain the rules we're going to give you an envelope full of cash everything's kind of said mystically an envelope full of cash and it is up to you to do the most selfless thing with that money by the end of today whoever does the most selfless thing without spending a dime on themselves 
wins this competition. That was the conceit. And it's me who showed up with a guitar on his back because they found me at a gig. I thought this had to do with music. And this other girl whose whole life is reality television. Her whole life and, and purpose for being alive is to do reality TV. There was smoke and mist and a host walked through it and said, I'm Chris, whatever his name was. Here's your envelopes. And I look and it's $100 in singles to make it look, you know, kind of fluffed right. up and big. She runs off and buys cleaning equipment and starts cleaning bathrooms at the beach. <laughs> she like drives out to the beach. That ain't a kid. I go and buy like jujubes for myself and like meander around the streets with a camera crew following me. And I keep asking, what am I supposed, what, what am I supposed to do? I have no idea what to do. Uh, long story short, I got an email back like weeks later. They said, thanks so much. We're actually going to refilm the test episode. Oprah said he didn't get it. Oh my God. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey watched me. <laughs> and she was like, nope. Nope. That's not not, even close to what I wanted this to be. I actually think Oprah probably said like, fuck that guy. She was like, I hate him. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) She sent her goons after me. (laughs) But I also love, I also love that you, you fucked up immediately because you bought Jujubees. Right away. I I like, I listened to all the rules and I said, got it. I'm going to go buy something for myself. (laughs) How old were you? I was 19 at the time. 19 or 20 perhaps. Oh my yeah. God. Wild oh my times. God. Uh, all right. RSO, we've talked a lot about your career. Kids, Google the man. He does so much for the industry and in the industry. But for right now, we're going to do some dopey questions with Ryan Scott Oliver. Yes. Ryan. Yep. Who was the celebrity that gave you a sexual awakening? Mm hmm. Uh, an act. <laughs> an a- I got this. Um, an actor named uh, Hal Sparks. Um, Hal, Hal Sparks, Sparks was Hal Sparks was on Queer as Folk, and he <gasps> I know him, and he was and then he's a comedian, so he was like he like has made the rounds, and I just yeah he did a lot sp- of like VH1 Best Week Ever kind of things, yes, a hundred percent, and he, yeah. uh, he I worked at Borders Books and Music in Santa Monica, and I got to ring him up, and that was a great I framed the receipt in my bedroom. Oh my God, that's okay. That's the awakening. Creepy. When when you frame a, a receipt, I think you're uh, you're definitely in yeah. the you gave yeah. me my sexual awakening phase. Uh, same question, but this time not geared toward a celebrity. Cartoon. What cartoon were you uh, attracted to? Absolutely, so easy. Um, when I was a child, Paula Abdul had a music video for a music for a song called "Opposites Attract." Yes, and I remember there, this. there was a cartoon cat. And I, as a very small pre-gay child, like, I was like, I don't know, four, I don't, I would run out of, I would leave the TV on to MTV and anywhere in the house, if I heard the song playing on my television, I would run and I would see it. And only later did I realize, like, I wanted to fuck that cat. Wow, you really wanted to fuck that cartoon cat. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Not that anybody's curious or interested or asking, but Patty Mayonnaise from Doug was like... I had such a big crush on her. I don't know what it was. Because looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? But I really, (laughs) (laughs) looking back, I make sure (laughs) I go back and check what my brain was doing back then. Wasn't she Um, like super like cool? Wasn't Patty Mayonnaise just like super cool? She was so, she was unflappable. That's how I describe her. She was so confident in who she was and like Doug and Skeeter, they were all boys. And she was this like confident woman in the mix of all these idiots. 
let's play a small little game called Fuck, Mary Kill. We're going to do this uh, okay. Broadway Softies edition. Okay, okay. The Broadway Softies edition. So here are your three choices. Fuck, Mary oh, no. Kill. Horton, the elephant. <laughs> Amos Hart from Chicago. Yeah. And Floyd Collins. Fuck, Mary Kill. Oh. Well... Honestly, I would fuck Mary and kill Floyd Collins because he's, <laughs> he's because honestly he's so sexy. He like has this big revelation at the end, and then he dies. So like I honestly kind of get the whole thing. Yeah, um, is that an acceptable answer? That's a completely acceptable answer. Right before you kill him, you could say, "I'm doing you a favor." You don't know what's about to happen, but yeah. exactly. Uh, all right, now I want to do the same game, but this time Broadway composers edition. Here we go. Oh, fuck no. Mary Kill. Oh no. Sondheim, Jerry okay. Herman. William Finn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, fuck Sondheim for sure. Because, okay, like, yeah. absolutely. Because he's a freak. He's a freak. And I well, think he's a lot he, of fun. I mean, and I'm, I'm genuinely sexually attracted to him and always kind of have been. There's, like, a recent photo that's going around of him and Bernadette Peters under the woods where his guns are just, like, like yes, exploding. Yes, I know exactly. I just saw that picture. You're right. He's a, he's a snack. He really Objectively is. handsome. Yeah. Um, I uh, would marry Jerry Herman because I think he'd be really fun to be married mm-hmm. to, but a little mean, but like just they write him out of mean for a spouse. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think I would have to do, to, I would have to do the dirty. To, uh, I love, yeah, that's fine. I would too. I, bye, Bill. You're, you're bye. gone. <laughs> bye, bye, Bill. And he probably's okay the, with that. Sure. I love the idea. Jerry Herman's the right amount of mean for a spouse. <laughs> uh, okay, last couple silly things, and then and then I'll thank you for your time and, and say ta ta and, and uh, all that good stuff. But um, if you have to choose one, you only get one. Would you rather write a Broadway show that lasted to great acclaim for only three weeks, or would you rather have a TikTok musical that trended for a whole year? Absolutely, number one. Great, great acclaim. Great acclaim briefly. Great, yeah. Exactly. Because you'll, you'll yeah. be stamped in the legacy. I'm glad. Yeah. You, you know, it's like, I, when like, when like, inst- I'm like very like late on all kinds of technology and all kinds of social media. And when Instagram came, like I, I, I waited a good year to two years before I joined Instagram. Sure. And, and I was kind of like, I'm going to let this one pass. But with TikTok, <laughs> I, I really feel strongly that I have to let this one pass. Like, I don't yeah. want to get involved with it. And I, first of all, I deeply admire that you you have elected to put yourself in that place. How is it going? Are you enjoying it? Uh, I'm on TikTok and I'm enjoying it mostly. I, it's it's a strange bag. And you, I don't know. My sister pointed something out to me that was so powerful that I didn't really realize. But okay. I tweeted, I tweeted something about how I miss musicals being on stage, not on TikTok. The people of Twitter and TikTok took such wild offense. And I'm not like, I'm not a scandalous personality. I don't say things that are like mind blowing. And I don't, I'm not famous enough by a lot for any of this shit to matter. But this tweet really got more attention than most things I tweet by thousands and thousands of likes and retweets and this kind of thing. And people took it uh, and they were like, how could you fucking say that? What about Ratatouille? What about Bridgerton? What about this? And I kept on like defending myself. How did my language get so twisted in trying to defend me wishing theater was back open that I had, I literally have Bridgerton fans like 
hating me. And I had people messaging me saying, I'm taking your music out of my book. I used to look up to you. It was insane. I had to get, I was off the app for the whole day because I was like, did I just ruin my career? They made it seem like I just like did a hate crime. But wait, wait, wait. But see, for, for, for your reference, I, first of all, I don't, I don't, you, you know, you and I, you and I know my history with Twitter. I don't. I don't use Twitter, but I, whenever I log in, because I want to see if, like, you know, I, I'm a part of any conversation, your your tweets always come up. Like, Twitter thinks that the only thing I care about is you. <laughs> and I had no idea. What I want to say is I had no idea that any of this happened. So it's crazy well, to me that this I was quickly, as explosive. I quickly deleted everything just because I didn't. I'm sure people took screenshots and because that's how people work these days. But I really was like, I don't. This is not worth any of this. So I this just was a week ago. This. Yeah, this happened like not too long ago at all. And uh, my sister, Chloe, who is 10 years younger than me, she pointed something out that is so interesting about social media and about the internet. You and I, Ryan, we were born and then like well into our lives, this started existing. These kids were born with this already at their disposal. It's right right there for them. So when you say something that is seen as a diss to social media or the internet, they take it as a personal jab. Yeah. And I was even called, I'm not kidding. I, I really was called a boomer by a kid. I'm 34, <laughs> oh. you know, and they, and they called me a boomer because I seemed so out of touch to them in that moment. So I was like angry, but I was also like, maybe I should just really be understanding of how these kids are sensitive to the fact that a lot of people don't understand TikTok. And I looked like one of those people. You know oh what my. I mean? Yes, I do. Very do, bizarre. Do you remember really briefly? Because I, I know we're ending, but um, do you remember about ten years ago when we won't we won't say her name? No, it must have been like fifteen years ago. It was the first moment when I ever felt like I saw someone get canceled. Was this sh- the end of the woods? Yes, thing? yes, yes. I remember this. Yeah, some some one of our our peers posted a, a, a negative review about Into the Woods being performed in the park. Yeah, and I and I remember, and I don't even know if this is true, but someone was like, "Oh, I think she packed her bags and like moved to Vietnam for a year or something." <laughs> and I and I don't even think that that's true because she's thriving. She's like living her best life. Um, but that was a, such a weird moment in time where I was like. It was the first moment where I was like, we it, we can say something that is just our really innocuous opinion about something that is not a big deal, we think. Yeah. Yes. And it, it can destroy people's feelings. And Absolutely. They, it's crazy. And then the fear is like, the whole day, that day, I was thinking, and I'm sure she was, this person we're referring to was thinking, did I just ruin my career yes. on accident? Yeah, you're so on scared accident. of this fragile thing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Before we leave RSO, before we head out, just tell us real quickly, what's the weirdest thing you've done this year? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Weirdest thing, weirdest thing, weirdest thing, weirdest thing, weirdest thing. I, my dog's, my dog's toenails are, or paw, paw nails, what, what are dog's nails called? His yeah. nails. Um, are so long that we had to lather our, our faces in peanut butter so that they, the dogs could lick the peanut butter off our faces so that we could clip their toenails. That was a weirdly erotic experience. Now you're really missing out on TikTok because that would have, you would have gone viral for days if you filmed that. Good Lord. I missed the boat. I missed the boat. (laughs) You missed the boat. Uh, Thank you for answering the weirdest question question. Uh, I, Ryan, 
I love you so much. I really I get a kick too. out of any time I get to chat with you. And this is the first time we've really, really had it out about process and craft yeah, and yeah. and the writing of it all. So that's an extra joy for me because I've always had these these curiosities yeah. and interests. And uh, I got nothing else to add except thanks so much for your time and tell Matt that I say hello and I love him too. Absolutely. And uh, I can't wait to have a martini with you once the world opens all the way back up. I cannot wait. We could do this for hours and hours and hours again. So hopefully next That's season. True. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Thank you, Ryan Scott Oliver. Thank you. Oh, another burp. Anyway, thanks for listening. Hey, now we're talking as a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network, and you can find out more about me and this podcast at bpn.fm slash now we're talking. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, you can find me at Drew Gasparini. A special thanks to our guest, Ryan Scott Oliver. I really do admire that man, and I hope you got a kick out of everything we discussed, including his process. Good heavens, the discipline. Hey, make sure to subscribe. Subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcast. And I can't stress this enough. Subscribing is free, you bunch of lunatics. You don't have to pay for anything. So stop complaining about it. Subscribe, damn it. Follow my ass. It's not a badass to follow. Keep tuning in for more amazing guests. We have a new guest every single Friday. And man, do we have a good time. So continue tuning in. Make sure to rate. Make sure to subscribe. Thank you, Ryan Scott Oliver. And thank all of you. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.